Prince remembered from the current. This interview was recorded in summer 2017. So this is Jay Gabler from The Current. I'm here with my colleague Andrea Swenson and with uh, Sharon Smith Akinsanya, who is joining us to talk about her years with Prince. But Sharon, to start out with, uh, do you want to tell us what you're doing in Minnesota now? Well, sure, sure. Thank you for having me, Jay, and uh, good to see you too, Andrea. Uh, Yeah, I work with major corporations and I help them do better business with communities of color because uh, I believe that we all need to work harder in making sure that Minnesota is a great place to live, work, and play for all. So I do a lot of work around diversity, workforce recruitment, and retention. I produce the People of Color Career Fair, and I have a top resource for um, Minnesota employers to connect with candidates looking to be hired uh, at PLCCareers.com. Great. That's fantastic work. Thank you. I'm really curious, and maybe we'll talk about this later on as we talk about how Prince has influenced you, but if that's something that um, you ever communicated with Prince about, if that was a passion of his, and if um, your experiences being around him and in his company kind of ignited this focus for you. Um, Is that a question? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, actually, my work around this area was inspired by my years of being in the radio business. Mm. Uh, But I can tell you that, um, you know, Prince was a flag waving Minnesotan. Uh, He he loved it here. And he was always concerned about the plight of his people. Uh, As he probably I guess one of the best uh, pieces of music that he wrote, uh, that sort of uh, gives you an idea of how he felt was called Dear Mr. Man. Mm. And that'll give you a sense of how he felt about what was going on with African-Americans, black people uh, specifically. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So you came here to Minnesota in the 90s. Am I right? I to, did. To I, I want Prince. the 90s back. I want them back. It was so cool. It was so much to do. The Minneapolis sound was just crazy. So You know, I got here. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I had a boyfriend. His name was David. He played the guitar, and he wanted to move to Minnesota because he wanted the opportunity to work for Prince. So I'm like, Minnesota, dude, seriously? You know, there's nothing there but Prince and Snow. And at the time, I was not a Prince fan. I mean, I knew Prince, and I respected him, but I wasn't a fan. But I'm like, hey, single, no kids, let's rock so we tr- we come up to Minnesota. Uh, I get a big job at K- a radio sales job at KDWB, and they say, "Hey, first thing we want you to do is we need glam slam on the air." <laughs> uh-huh. So that's sort of how it started. And so, less than a year later, you know, Prince had asked me to come work with them. So, I mean, there's more to that story, but that's sort of how it got there. And then, of course, I lost my boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you meet Prince in the course of that year? Yeah, so so what happened was ultimately um, we did get Glam Slam to advertise on the radio. Uh, and then one night I was in the club and uh, Bodyguard said, and this was not even a year later, Bodyguard said, uh, the boss wants to see you. And I'm like, my boss is not in this club, trust me. So I just wasn't thinking, you know, and he's like, you know, he did the head nod. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So he walks me over to the booth. Now, those of you who remember Glam Slam, uh, there's a booth that pr- was Prince's booth. Okay, so, you know, nobody sat there So, but him. But him. And so uh, from time to time, we would let people sit there if we knew he was out of town. Um, but, but that was his spot. 
So um, I came over there and that was the first night that I met Prince and he asked me to meet with him and, you know, he told me I was doing a good job and it was very short. Just, you know, can you come meet with me? And so we did that and he asked me to um, come join the team. So that's sort of how it happened. <laughs> he said, you know, but pretty much I'm, you're doing a great job with the club. Because I thought he thought maybe I worked for him already. So it was sort of, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this on behalf of the radio station. And he's like, no, no, I get it, you know. So, um, and we met and he asked me to come join the team. So the very first time that you met him, you were hired. Pretty much. And that's sort of how it goes. You know, he, yeah. he, would, he does his research, he identifies and he points you out. And before you know what you're doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, and that's sort of kind of how it works. Yeah, and I, I, that's sort of exactly how it works. Yeah. So it was an, it was an amazing experience. Um, uh, and um, we had a lot of fun doing work at Glam Slam in Minneapolis and Los Angeles. Mm. And then we also built South Beach. Okay. So what year was that that you were first brought in? 92, 90. Okay, so what year did he change his name? I'm trying to figure. 93. 93. So it was 92. Okay. So it was 92 because I'm like, dang it, I just got here. <laughs> it's only been a year. So I remember. So so I was there at 92. Okay. 92. Maybe a little bit of 91, but I think 92. So And then he changed his name in the middle of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So can you explain for people who never were there, including me, although I remember hearing those advertisements on the radio for sure, mm-hmm. never actually made it to Glam Slam, yeah. what Glam Slam was? Because I feel like people now, you know, they know Paisley Park, they know First Avenue, because those are still places you can go to. But people forget or don't know much about what Glam Slam was, why Prince operated it, and what role it played in his life and career. Well, Glam Slam um, was a nightclub uh, inspired by Prince. Um, he didn't legally own it, but I think that that was for le- reasons, you know, but it was inspired by Prince. Glam Slam, as you know, was one of his his songs. Uh, and so inspired by Prince. And I think that the clubs, uh, you know, is indicative. Everybody knows Prince loves a party, you know, so that's part of his personality. And he loved going to clubs uh, and he loved going to clubs for a couple of reasons. Not only did he like to dance, but he liked to hear other people's music and he wanted to see how the community and the patrons in the club responded to his new music. Mm. So DJs became a very important part of it. So the clubs, you know, he'd like to see people have a good time. He liked music and liked to dance, but he also wanted to see how people would react to his music. So he can do that in his own clubs and then also see live bands and then do rehearsals right in front of live audiences. If they weren't at Paisley, he can play at his club to test things out, rehearse, learn. But you never knew he was in rehearsal, but it was always rehearsal. So even though they were shows, they were rehearsals for something else. And then he would videotape those shows and those people and the reaction to them and watch so that he can get better and he and so that he can then coach the band or the dancers or the choreographer, whoever he was working with at the time, because he believed that if you don't tape it, you can't get better. Hmm. So he spent a lot of time looking at those tapes to get better, to watch angles, not only his angles, but other people's angles, because they're always being photographed. How do you look best? You know, that sort of thing. So everything was choreographed. Wow. So Glam Slam was the place for us to have a great time, but also a rehearsal ground and a way for him to test new music. 
In that era, it seems like there weren't as many public events happening at Paisley Park. I get the sense that kind of picked up in the later 90s. So was Glam Slam just kind of his playground at that point? Well, I don't know. I mean, he was there a lot. You know, he was there a lot and he played a lot. uh, And we had concerts there a lot. Uh, So uh, so it wasn't it wasn't Paisley at that time was oh, is there going to be an after party? So it was Glam Slam at the beginning of the night, right? So wonder if it's going to be an after party at Paisley because the club closed at 1 o'clock. Oh, sure. So, and that's like noon for Prince. Okay, <laughs> so so, so the idea was, okay, are we going out to Paisley? Is there a party? Is there not a party? So we would have to figure that out, and I'd get the phone call, uh, and I'm sure a couple other people, and that means we needed to mobilize people to get out to Paisley for the event. Things must have been successful enough, and he must have been happy enough with how things happened in Minneapolis that he then wanted to open Glam Slam clubs in California and Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, you know, I, I, I would assume that the re- same reason, right, for having those clubs in Minneapolis would be for L.A. and 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 South Beach um, because he really needed to have a way to 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 listen to his music and have other people listen to his music. Now, remember, he's in the middle of the fight, right? Right. With Warner Brothers. So he needs other avenues to really get the music out, new music out, test music. So I'm sure I can't get inside of his head, but I'm guessing that that was part of it. Just making sure he had a way to express himself and a vehicle that he can control. Uh, So I was in charge of um, making sure that those clubs did what they were supposed to do. In fact, I finished building South Beach. Oh, wow. So that was pretty incredible. Wow. And so, and then the opening night was, whoa. (laughs) So he's like, you got to bring it in on budget and on time. (laughs) And that's what we did. (laughs) And that's what we did. So Glam Slam is, was, you know, it's very important. You know, we had all sorts of events in Glam Slams, all of them. Other people's events, you know, uh, CD release parties. And then, of course, everybody would just wonder if they can spot him, let alone if he would play. But is he coming tonight? Um, and sometimes we would know. Sometimes we would know. It just depends on, you know, how, what he was feeling. But any, you know, if he wanted to throw a party or whatever, he would call me and say, OK, we're having a party and it's going to be in like three hours. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> So what, what was the peak of this activity then when you had all three clubs open? Would that have been around 93, 94? I'd say 93. Probably 93, possibly 94. I'm not good at that. But it's, it's right in there. It's 91, 90. It's right in there. I'd say the peak is when he called me up on the phone. And this was after he changed his name. So that'll give you some sort of reference point. So you guys say that's in 93. 93. Okay. Because you guys are the Prince experts on all this timeline. <laughs> so, and we sort of lived it. And it's like, you know. So, he called me up. And I swear I believe he was in the bathtub because I could hear the water. But I can't. He was, I'm not going to hear this water. He's like, you know, he's just splashing around. He's like, Sharon, um, I'd like to have a, a first birthday party. <sighs> Silence. He's like, I'll call you back. Hangs up. So that's good because that gives me a minute to think about his birthday party. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I'm thinking he's every bit of 30 something. Right. But artist formerly known as first. OK, had to get it right. It took me a minute. So 
He calls back and he says, uh, I'd like to play all three clubs at the same time and run the sound. Click. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was the assignment. <laughs> so, so that was the probably the biggest challenge, right? Like, because when you work for Prince, you didn't get the details. He didn't do details. It was vision. And could you get the vision and then figure out how to execute, which was the most unbelievable experience ever for someone like me who is a marketer and to really have to like, okay, okay, how do we do this? So, so you go around and you started talking to other people. You're not going to believe what he just asked me. You're just not going to believe what he just asked me. You want to play three clubs at one at the same time and do the sound. How is that going to happen? You know, so this is the, so we're running around trying to figure out what it all means. So then he call, he'll call back two hours later, figure it out yet. Nope. Still working on it. Still working on it. So, he, you know, so not only did he want it, he wanted it fast. Right. So ultimately, we figure it out. So we were working on this uh, sort of after-hours dance series called Erotic City. Uh, and it was upstairs in the back room of Glam Slam. And we had hired dancers, and it's just we had beds for seats. It was sort of kind of cool, right, as far as, you know, Prince cool. You know what I'm saying. Um, and so we thought, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can do th- we can do that in three locations. He can play. So we ended up doing it. So it so the, so it was hubbed out of Miami. You guys remember in the endorphin machine. Mm-hmm. So that had been built. And so he ran the sound from the front of the house out of endorphin mach- out of that machine <laughs> that machine and so that we were able so we threw it up on satellite and he was able to be at three places at one time (laughs) and we were monitoring and djing and hosting kind of like all three of us so you're so jay you would have been in la (laughs) andrea you would have been in uh, miami and i was Mm -hmm. in minneapolis Mm -hmm. so we were like okay we're getting ready the place is packed how's it going over there so that's what it that's how it was wow yeah so we that was early early on so we did that that was awesome was there a video as well as sound Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those video screens. Oh, yeah. You can see him. Oh, yeah. You can see him. He wanted to be in three places at one time playing and people could see him. It was amazing. And and then and what it did was afterwards, after I like exhaled and cried and everything, it's like, OK, OK, we did it. It happened, you know, because at a certain point, remember, I didn't start off as a Prince fan. Mm-hmm. And then I figured out who. I was dealing with quite early. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I got it now. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, I'm in the middle of history because I now get it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've got a musical genius, you know, a creative uh, icon from Minnesota, North Minneapolis. You know, what what are we doing here? You know, I mean, I just loved all over the world. Uh, can write records and uh, songs in 15 minutes or less. Uh, you know, like, I got it. So now I really want to make sure I can help him execute that vision because I'm like, this isn't ordinary. This is not just some dude that is, can play the guitar doing music. This is Prince. Right. And so, um, and I and I, and I I understood it. I appreciated where he was and was great just watching him work you know in terms of um 
you know, rehearsals and, you know, just just asking that question is 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 unbelievable. Can I be at three? Can I, you know, just think about that. Can I be at three places at one time? And so, you know, really trying to figure it out is great. But but what's more, what's he, what, what was even more incredible is that he knew I could do it. Mm. See, that, that's 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 the learning. Right. So when I think about Princess, the learning and the legacy, he would push you to places you never thought you could go ever. Uh, and that's that that's that was the beauty that he actually thought we can do it. You know, it's like you can do it. So then going back a little bit in terms of getting Miami built, right, the South Bank, Glam Slam South Beach. He called me up and he said, I need you to finish Glam Slam South Beach. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. So we need to go to the bank. So so what happened was, it was very, it was crazy. He ended up putting a half a million dollars that I was in charge of Wow. in my name. I was the only one that can write checks and only and another person I think could sign with me. And it was just the craziest thing. It's just sort of out the blue, like words at Barnett Bank. <laughs> it's like, here you go. I mean, it, it was so that kind of stuff, right, was incredible. It was just incredible. So the experience was unbelievable. And actually, at the end of the experience, and I'm sure you guys have other questions, but at the end of it, I really thought that I should have written him a check mm. for what I learned and how it is applicable to the work that I'm doing and uh, today and even and ever since I left him. So it was a great experience. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, it was 24-7 and you, you know, you didn't sleep much. But boy, was it worth it because I figured, well, he's not sleeping either. So we'll just we'll just keep it going. Maybe a little bit in the late afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's so but he but but he was always at work, though. It wasn't yeah. it was he was not a slacker. He was always at work. And we would be some days I'd be like, OK, take a sick day or sleep longer, because when he was away, you could get work done when he was there. You know, he was constantly it was constantly going. And so it was either a phone call, an email or a message. It just kept going. It just never stopped, you know, because his mind never stopped. So, you you, you know, by the time you get one thing started, he was on to the next, 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 next. So 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 we really were very excited when he would take a nap. <laughs> so you're in marketing. So yeah. you had these in these incredible productions to bring together and the clubs to open. But then was there sort of day to day marketing work to get people into the club or that wasn't your domain? Yeah, no, that was my do- domain to make sure that the teams that were working on Glam Slams uh, had what they needed to be able to keep um, uh, the clubs packed. Uh, so so it wasn't but it wasn't about so much advertising was more about strategy of what are we doing you know are we going to be what are we what bands are we having you know what dancers are coming who uh have we invited uh prince is doing this warner brothers wants to do that it was more of what's the calendar like what are we doing that is consistent that we can share so that's it sort of went went like that but once they open particularly my I mean it just took off it just did what it did you know and it was, and then you know mostly asking questions like 
you know, your DJ, your music, your, you know, just things like that, because um, it wasn't much to do. L.A. was a challenge because of where it was located. Mm. Uh, it was downtown Los Angeles. And so it was a challenge. Uh, in fact, my good friend, Johannes Sphylos, uh, who I ult- uh, ultimately ended up opening up the lounge nightclub with here in Minneapolis, ran Glam Slam in Los Angeles. So, um you know, on the day to day. And so it was a challenge because it was nothing in downtown Los Angeles. So I'm not quite sure about that location, but it still did what it was supposed to do. Um, And then uh, all things come to an end. So, (laughs) Oh, I'm just curious to know a little bit more about the um, logistics of like how many people were working for Prince in this period of the early 90s and where were you working were you at Paisley Park were you at Glam Slam yeah okay so um oh man I guess it's hard to know so uh I worked at Paisley Park and I also was at Glam Slam so depending on what we're doing but I had an office at Paisley okay uh oops on the second floor by the doves and so um Every office was filled. You know, we got band members. I, I don't know who, how many people were on payroll, and I should know this because we had to do some work around payroll, and I should know the number, but it was so long ago. Um, but it was it was fully staffed. Okay. I mean, it was it was fully staffed. There was people, you know, that you could go and talk to about payroll and insurance, and you know, lights and. You know, could you maybe convince Prince not to be in that studio because we have somebody who would like to rent it? You know, so there were people, you know, so there were, you know, there were that kind of camaraderie, you know, it was a team. So I don't, it wasn't huge. I mean, I'm, I don't know, 50 people maybe. Okay. You know, so. full business. Yeah, it was a full, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, there were people, you know, there were people. And then there was also people in Los Angeles as well. So there was a Paisley Park office in L.A. Okay. So we had publicity and, you know, marketing and there's sure. all those people. There was some de- couple development people and a CEO and there was people, <laughs> you know, like, you know, so, yeah. And um, it, and so my office was there. Okay. And so you were saying, you know, all good things come to an end. It, mm-hmm. Eventually this era wound down yes. and this, this business was sort of slowly or maybe it was quickly downsized mm-hmm. the clubs closed how what part where was your role in that process or what do you remember about how that happened well i you know I, it's just sort of happened you know i don't remember because i wasn't intimately um involved in all of those details but you know i think that uh if you know anything about prince it just changes you know so it's like okay we're done with that <laughs> we're on to the next thing so it could have been as simple as that or it could have been something else, you know, but um, uh, but when I but Glam Slam was still there, you know, when I left, I mean, it was still it was still everybody. Everything was still doing what it what it did. So it wasn't um, downsized, but it but it did. Right. There was like you said, there was an error. So I'm assuming that Prince just decided, which uh, mm. is what he often did. He may decide. Well, I'm done. I don't. I don't need all these people. You know, it could have been as simple as that, or you know, done with that club. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't even like that record anymore. Like, you know, it could have been that. I, it could have been as simple as that, but I don't know. So, when was it that you left the organization? So I left 
in 90. So what year did he change? 93. Mm -hmm. So and then so I must have come in 92. Okay. And then I left um, almost moving into 95. So after, you know, so a little over two years as a employee. Okay. Obviously working with Glam Slam a little bit longer than that. Right. And as you mentioned before, this was a very pivotal time in his career as he's changing his name. And writing Slave on mm-hmm. his face. Yes. What was the reaction within the camp of people that were working with him? How, what did you have to do to support that? And how are people feeling about it? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, so when the release came out, it was a little. We were a little freaked out because we're like, what do we call him so that, that, that you know we were concerned about you know what do we call him and so um and then we went now why are we doing this then we went wait a minute it's real because he legally changed his name so we uh, thought it was one of those just oh he just you know we're gonna call him and but no he changed his name so <laughs> like, okay. so okay it was serious so if that was the case, then what are we going to, how are we going to communicate? So that was sort of the first thing. How do we communicate? And that's when we all got the tools to communicate because we wrote a lot of memos to Prince. Um, so we had to, so it couldn't be Dear Prince anymore. You had to stamp it, you know. So we had to first get a way to, you know, to stamp it. And then we had a way to change the keys on the keyboard. And oh, yeah, so we had to adjust because so there was a key that had the symbol on correct. it. Oh, <laughs> correct, correct, correct. And so, and if it was a, and then sometimes it was easier just to print out the the memo because he liked really at this in this era he loved faxes, so that he can grab them and really look, and then he'll respond to you. And mm-hmm. he responded to to everything that I've ever written him. So, um, and so, and in purple ink, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, or he'll call you on the phone and give you an answer. So he ran the business and he, you know, he ran it. You know, you needed something, you call him, you know, dialed one and he'd pick up the phone and it was like that. Wow. So, but that was the biggest adjustment was how to communicate. I remember being in the hallway with him once. I'm like, oh, I really need to ask Prince this question about a dancer. Uh, and no, actually it was about a choreographer. It was a budget on the choreographer. He's walking, you know, on his way to rehearsal, click, 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 click. Like, how am I going to, because he goes fast. So I'm like, how am I going to run down the hall fast enough to get in front of him, right, to be able, because you can't just say, hey, dude, like, you can't just go, hey. So you had to try to get his attention, because that, so that was the biggest challenge. How do you communicate? So I go running down, I beeline it down the hall. And then, of course, I fall. Oh, no. That's one way to get this much. And he said, did you need something? <laughs> <laughs> and then he just fell out laughing because, you know, now Prince is funny. I don't know how many of you know. He's really, really funny. Practical joker, just funny. And so, and I'm thinking, is he going to help me up? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger. So... It's so impressive that he so thoroughly, you know, changed the way that people relate to him and that he like saw that could be done. That would be hard enough to do now in the emoji era. Right. right, When we're used to using unconventional characters. Right. But in the early 90s, he's like, 
no, this can happen. This I'm going to ha- make this happen. Yeah, and he did. And so we all had stamps. I still have one. Oh, you know, cool. that you just, you know, so you write the memo, dear, leave it blank, get it down there, put your name on it, zoop, stamp, fax it, zoop. <laughs> That's how we did it. And there just was no spoken name that no. you would use? I think some people, we've, we refer to him as the boss. So when we were talking to each other, you know, well, the boss, wants, he would want, or, he, you know, so it was more like that. But if, to him, it, no, no. You just start talking. And even when he would call you, he never said hello. It was like he just start talking. You know, yeah. like, you know, he may say your name or may say, but, you know, he called me several times on the phone. Um, and, well, many times on the phone. And you just start, he just starts talking. Yeah. And he just calls you until you he gets you. Hmm. Was it part of your responsibility to consider dealing with the media at all? No, that was the responsibility of Karen Lee, who was in charge of publicity for Paisley Park Enterprises at the time. So she was in charge of all publicity, Uh, his publicity. um, She didn't do much around the club publicity, but when it had to do with him, it was under her purview. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to go back now and try to kind of piece together this timeline because the media reacted so strongly to everything and with little actual information um, or connection to him. Right. It was a lot of speculation. Correct. A lot of name calling, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of wondering if he was just trying to pull one over on everybody. No, no. Yeah. It was serious. You know, I mean, and obviously if you didn't know him, you would think that was really strange, you know, but all of us, we were only freaked out because we didn't know what we were going to call him, you know? So we then got it right. He knew, we knew that, in his head, Prince was dead to him. You know, we knew that. And that it's, I mean, I remember sending him a memo saying that Warner Brothers has asked to do a release party for the Come album. And, you know, and so I had to really think through it. Like, how am I going to get that approval when he doesn't see himself as Prince? Because it was a Prince album. Mm. So I sent him a note that says, listen, if Prince were here, (laughs) what would you think he would think about doing the release party at Glam Glam Slam Los Angeles? So put a stamp on it and he wrote me back. He would love it. Oh, that's it. So I, you know, so you had to think through like, how do you do this and still, re- you got to respect, but we got business to get done. Right. As, at the same time, right? So I got to get the, keep the clubs running. I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and so then, of course, everybody wanted to know when we produ- when we did the party, everybody wanted to know if he would be there, but he, he wasn't Prince. Uh, but he gave me, uh, so, but we put together a choreographed piece uh, to do for the event uh, so we produced that with Jamie King, the choreo- choreographer. So, but no, he wasn't there. So it seems like you've kept in touch with some of your fellow coworkers and friends from that era over all these years. Well, not, not really. I mean, I mean, some of us, some of us do, I mean, stay in touch. I mean, we talk about it and, um, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time, 
uh, with uh, Pepe Willie. You guys know mm-hmm. Pepe? Sure. So I spent a lot of time with Pepe. He's a good friend of mine. And so we talk about it a lot because it was very painful for us. And unless you, there's a very, there's a handful of us that knew Prince or even had a conversation with Prince. So you're in a kind of a exclusive club. And so when it happened, you could, you, you wanted to clamor for those people because they would understand what it meant because he meant so much to us, like deep down in. And so, so I spent a lot of time with, with Pepe because he started with Prince very early on. Um, so we talk about it uh, a lot. So we stay in touch. You know, I've had a couple of conversations with uh, Kirk when it first happened just mm-hmm. to make sure he was okay because it was so close to Prince. Um, and um, I talked to Levi a little bit and had some communication with Morris Hayes via uh, very, very little via messenger, you know, just connecting. And then, of course, some of the dancers and the DJs and people that I work with uh, directly. And, and and then the most, the biggest connection was when we went to the memorial. So, the, mm. you know, the funeral that happened on, um, I want to say August 13th it was. No, August. Yeah. So, you know, there was the private ceremony. Right. And then there was the other private ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was um, honored to be included in that very small. I mean, there might have been 100 people there, maybe. Wow. Um, for that memorial. Um, that memorial. So it was, was, it was the first time that, um, you know, that was revealed that his uh, ashes were in the, oh. the makeshift paisley small paisley so we saw that um well it was a whole service it was incredible and i really wish that the world would have been able to be there with us have you returned to paisley park i have not Mm. yeah i can't even imagine i just you know i'm struggling i'm struggling with the whole museum thing you know um because the vision of me and Prince's wardrobe is, you know, it used to be on the fifth floor in Glam Slam. So where, you know, lots of people were sewing and making things and, you know, measuring his butts and, you know, like <laughs> it was that. It was just, whoa. Uh, and then, of course, it then moved out to Paisley. And I mean, this is, I don't know. It's just I'm not there yet. I'm just not there yet. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a family member, but I'm just not there yet on on the museum. Uh, I know everybody's saying that's what he wanted, but I'm just not. I'm just not there yet. I I, I will ultim- I will eventually get out there. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier that um, Prince had this ability to kind of draw excellence out of people yes. and challenge you. Have you? Um, I'm sure you have reflected in these last uh, year or so about how he changed you or what impact working with him had on you. Professionally, personally, creatively. Oh, absolutely. Um, Prince was all about excellence. He was all about, at every level, it would blow me away. And I'm sure you can talk to others who <laughs> work for Prince. It's like you were, it was just so hard to keep up. You know, he was everything. It's like, okay, I'm a girl, right? I think, I, you know, I look pretty good. You know, 
I'm not ugly. <laughs> but I'm like, he was the only one. And he was a guy who would make you feel insecure <laughs> about how you came to work. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I know he only got two hours of sleep. I'm exhausted. I'm looking like the. I just want to get in there and get my work done. How is he looking like two million dollars? <laughs> this is not okay, you know. And I mean, his makeup's better than mine. His eyeliner's better than mine. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? It's not fair. So I'm like, please don't call me in for a meeting today. Please don't call me in for a meeting today. It's gonna be embarrassing. So. You know, so he just that alone. Right. You know, there was no slacking, no jeans, no. He just always looked. He was dressed to the nines. I mean, hence the song to the nines. <laughs> and you just. Just sort of felt inadequate sometimes. <laughs> it's like it's like especially as a female. So I'm thinking seriously. So I one time he really hurt my feelings and I, I don't think he. I don't think he did it on purpose because Prince is a practical joker. He's funny. Like he's so he's just funny. It just wasn't funny to me when he did it. So we're in South Beach and I used to wear this apple hat. Right. Because I worked so hard. It was it looked really good. Right. And I can sort of be cool with it. Right. If I had a bad hair day. So. But every time Prince saw me in that hat, he just fell out laughing like it was the like it was so funny that I would wear it. And so it was cool the first couple times. I'm like, oh, he's just being Prince. Like, you know, I'm just trying to get the work done. And the third time. So we're he's walking down the ramp at Miami and we're working and I'm, you know, I'm asking him a question. He's just looking at me in my face. And he look at that. He just fell out like he I'm like it was that one, that last one, that third one really hurt my feelings because I thought I was looking good that day <laughs> but it was the it wasn't cheap it was a cool apple hat anyway so that really hurt my feelings so I, that was that that's that third one but he didn't do that he didn't intend to but it was but when you're like a female and this guy that's looking like Ugh. so anyway so but he pushed you to be I never changed my hat though by the way I still I still <laughs> kept it real um, but he pushed you to be excellent, you know, how to throw the best party, how to hire the best dancers, you know, what was the choreography of the, of the dance? How do you fill a room for a special event in an hour? What methods and techniques, um, you know, well, how are you going to get it done? And I learned the hard way, mm-hmm. you know, so he was doing a party, um, this was at Paisley, I believe, it was the after party, and he. It was an hour, you know. We needed everybody to come in an hour, but it wasn't. An, it wasn't. An, it wasn't the after the glam slam. It wasn't like where you can herd people out, right? So you had to sort of get creative. And so, and the only thing I knew to do, which is what we generally do, and that's call KDWB, right, and tell KDWB he's having a party, put it on the air, and they would announce it, and we'd be fine. But only it didn't happen that night. So he was playing out at Paisley and I forget the date, but it, it just we just I mean, it was a I, it was a comfortable crowd, but not what he would expect. And so he was disappointed and 
And he said, I should never have empty seats. Now, he, it was not, it was looking at him saying it, right? It was like, so, um, so he taught me the art of seat filler. Mm. So if you can't sell them, you pack the house by any means necessary. Right. I quickly learned that. Because <laughs> I'm thinking we got to sell tickets, right? He's thinking I'm Prince. And seriously. <laughs> so and I'm thinking it was an hour ago. Right. But that didn't matter. So I got really good at building stronger relationships and a network of people, right, who could help me spread the word fast about these opportunities. And so I created a strategy for the seat filler piece and a strategy for the ticket sales piece. And that never happened again. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's and, I, and I do that now with my clients. I never let them see that something's not successful. Like they deserve, if they're investing, they deserve to have a smashing success. So I produce, I'm known for producing flawless events. And a lot of that has to do with what I learned from Prince. Yeah. And I tape everything. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what's in the vault. People think about the music, but there's so much video there as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of video because he recorded everything that he did and other people did. Wow. So when we did concerts at, at Glam Slam, The minute that I was done with the event, whether it was All Star or Bootsy Collins or The Steels or India Irie or Michelle and Degio Cello or whoever was on that stage, he wanted the videotape instantly. Like people would come to my apartment to get the videotape. Wow. So he he wanted to see it. He wanted to see the crowd reaction. He wanted to see the how that person performed could he learn anything could i mean it was it was constant he uh, and i and so um as of this day i videotape everything that i do every single thing interesting everything because you get you can't get better if mm -hmm. you can't see it and when you're in the throes of doing it you can't see it you need to sit back you know relax take a look at it and then critique yourself Wow. So, so it, the learning was incredible. And now what I'm interested in is the legacy. Yeah. Um, Prince loved Minnesota. I told him I would leave and he said, you'll never leave. <laughs> and I didn't. I fell in love with Minnesota, fell in love with the Twin Cities, although we have work to do, as you know. But I do long for the 90s uh, because it was very cool. But um, I think I lost my train of thought. What did I say before that? Uh, yeah. The legacy. 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 So when I think about the legacy and his music, his philanthropy, his wanting young people to learn how to play instruments, I think about a couple things that he said to me when I was here with us. And it wasn't. You had to read between the lines a lot with Prince. He doesn't, it wasn't long conversations. You know, there are pieces of conversations. There are lots of them, but you got to go fast. You know, you got to think. And he said, wonder why the Metrodome doesn't shine purple. 
Mm-hmm. Translation. What am I, chopped liver? <laughs> you know, like that's my translation, not his, right? Hmm. Wonder why there's a Mary Tyler Moore statue on Nicolette Mall. Translation. Now, I know Prince well enough to know that he would not want a statue. Okay, he really? just that just he just would never want well because he would not think somebody could get him right. So he would not want a statue. So that that's not my point. So nobody, please go get him a statue. <laughs> what I'm saying is he's why why am I not getting my roses? This is Sharon's words, not Prince's. I'm thinking he's thinking, why am I not getting my roses while I'm alive? And I'm saying, I agree because there's no street. There's no, there's nothing on Nicolette Mall, not even a purple brick, nor any plans for that. There's no mural yet, although I know that that some people are working through that. There's no highway. There's no school. Nothing. And I can tell you that I think that's inexcusable. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we won't get there because it's been it's still early. We still got to work out the estate and things right. like that. It's still early. But even while he was here. Right. Think about that for a minute, y'all, where you can ask him. Can we name this school after you? How about a street near First Avenue? Kirby Puckett's got Kirby Puckett got one, and somebody you know Twins Way and this that and what what's so and people people notice not just from here but in other places. I think they have a Prince Street in Los Angeles, you know. So I'm just we need to take this opportunity to show him how much we loved him because he absolutely loved us yeah. as Minnesotans. No doubt about it. So we're moving too slow on that. Mm-hmm. On the plans for how do we honor a global icon that was ours. It's not okay. So when we had the first celebration... Everything needed to be purple. Okay? On April 21st, it needed to be purple hamburgers, purple popsicles, purple lights, purple water. Like, everything needs to shine purple in this joint. Okay? (laughs) Everything. So, it's like, it has to be. We cannot, we cannot have this. We have to make sure that the world knows that we get it. Because they get it. So... I just want us to do better and be better around the legacy of Prince. And I, and I don't want people to be timid about it. Everything won't be right. We won't get it right. Just do it. Right. You know, just do it. Don't don't even ask for permission. Just do it. And if it's wrong, somebody will say, now we can't do that. So, but if you can do it this way, but don't wait, just do it. And those who love Prince won't do anything disrespectful. But you do have to make sure you're not, you know, there's some rules. But just go for it. Be reasonable. (laughs) You know, so and then but if it's bad, somebody will tell you. They'll say, no, you can't really do that. So we're going to have to tweak it this way or, you know, you you should have probably done. You know, just 
somebody will tell you. Just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Was it your idea to do the Prince Day at the State Fair? Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. So we had a, it, I needed to do something. I needed to do something. So an opportunity fell in my lap uh, to go and meet with the State Fair um, to really do some things around diversity. And I said, listen, the city is in turmoil right now. And we're sort of kind of falling apart. You know, we had the, uh, you know, black men getting shot in the street and uh, Black Lives Matter and everybody's just mad. So, and then we lost Prince. Everybody knows that music is a universal language. No matter where you're from, you know, race, creed, color. So we sat down and had a conversation about doing Unite in Purple. And it was on the same night that Charlie Wilson and Fantasia would be performing at the State Fair last year. And I believe, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I should have this in my bio, but I think it was the largest opening on a Thursday mm. or Friday, whatever that day was. You guys can get it. But I know that it's in the, uh, they wrote about it, but it was unbelievable. And I have all the photos and video from it. Um, it's just a sea of purple. People yeah. totally got it. And it felt really good for me, right? I mean, I'm not a family member, you know, just someone who appreciated what he's done for me personally and whom I think he appreciated the value that I had and added to his life uh, during the time we were together. So to be able to bring that together at the great Minnesota get together was an honor to co-produce that with the Minnesota State Fair. And um, it's something, something that I'll never forget because it's something that we all can just do wear purple and come to the fair like how hard is that and that's because that's why I'm saying that everything needs to shine purple because we had purple stuff on the stick and mm -hmm. I mean the fair really pulled out the stops to make sure that all the vendors uh, had an opportunity to participate uh, you know we had purple tea and popcorn I mean like it was just way cool the whole thing and um, uh, so and it was very nice because Prince's entire family was there. Oh. So Taika was there. Sharon was there. Omar was there. Um, Taika's son, president, was there. We didn't have, to, I don't think, we didn't have Noreen. And we didn't have Alfred. But for the most, but, you know, we had a good representation of the family they were treated very well and, you know, VIP treatment. And it was just all good just for everybody to know that they were there. Taika was taking pictures. It was just a great, great night, a great celebration and legacy of their brother and our Minnesota son. Like Prince was ours and we need to act like it. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so much for your time coming in and talking to us about yeah. your history with Prince and his legacy. Well, you know, Thank you for asking me to do it. I sincerely appreciate it.